welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, my guest is Alex Ratner. He is the project lead for Stanford's Snorkel Open Source Project, and he also recently garnered a faculty position at the University of Washington. So for those of you who don't know, Snorkel is a framework for building and managing training data. Based on our survey from earlier this year, labeled data remains a major bottleneck for organizations who are building machine learning applications and services. Alex was a guest on the podcast a little over two years ago, but back then Snorkel was a relatively new project. Since then, Snorkel has added more features, expanded into computer vision, for example, use cases, and now boasts many, many actual production use cases from Google, Intel, Facebook, and many other uh, companies. And along with his thesis advisor, my friend, uh, Professor Chris Ray of Stanford, Alex and his collaborators have long championed the importance of building tools aimed squarely at helping teams build and manage training data. So this episode comes at a time when the new version of Snorkel, version 0.9, just came out, or it's about to just come out. So check it out. And for those of you who want to meet Alex in person, he will be speaking at O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference in San Jose, where he is a part of a very strong slate of speakers on data, data networks, and data quality. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Alex Ratner, newly minted PhD in computer science from Stanford University where he led the Snorkel project, which we will be talking about today. And he's also currently working on a startup that uh, will support that project. And he also has a faculty position at the University of Washington. Welcome back to the data show. And I think the last time you were here was just over two years ago. Yes, yes. Uh, Hopefully we can uh, show some positive uh, delta from the last one. But thank you so much for uh, inviting me back. All right. So first off, to put Some context for people. I was just on your website and you describe yourself as basically your focus is on uh, data and creating and managing training data sets. So what's your thesis and what informs your uh, research interests? So the focus of the Snorkel project that we started about four years ago at Stanford and and had the good fortune of uh, talking about in its more infant stages on, on on the show is that training data is one of the fundamental bottlenecks and leverage points in, in building real-world machine learning systems today. So if you look, you know, to keep things nice and simple and be a, a bit glib about it, but um, there are kind of three ingredients in any machine learning pipeline, any supervised machine learning pipeline. You know, say you want to train a, a spam classifier to say spam or not, or you want to classify uh, x-rays. Uh, you need a, a model or a model class. You need some training data to fit the model to, and you need hardware to train that model on. And by and large, you know, it's never been easier thanks to all the open source uh, frameworks like TensorFlow and PyTorch and all the progress recently to, you know, get the model and get the hardware. But the, the limiting reagent in this equation is quite often the training data. And we see that in, you know, everywhere from 
working with scientists and, and doctors all the way to the, the largest tech companies in the world. So we started to see this trend, you know, a couple of years back. And, um, you know, this trend of commoditization of models and of, of the algorithms they run on and, and the fact that data was becoming the real, the real, you know, development blocker. So we said, let's build a framework where, you know, building and managing training data in higher level, cheaper and faster ways is the first class citizen of the, of the framework is really how people interface with machine learning rather than, you know, defining the models or, uh, or the algorithms, or I should say in addition to. So who are the target users of Snorkel at this point, Alex? So I'd say, you know, ranging from, you know, a, a machine learning developer or a data scientist who really knows the entire pipeline, all the way to a, a subject matter expert who might not even know how to, uh, you know, how to program. Actually, we've done projects on using natural language inputs from non-programmers. And the basic idea is that, uh, you know, the Snorkel user should really just be able to focus on doing operations on training data sets. So when we started, the operation that we focused on that, that I spent a lot of my PhD working on was uh, labeling data. So the idea there, uh, and this is still the core operation, you know, one of the core operations in Snorkel, is that rather than, you know, say you want to classify um, chest x-rays, rather than having a doctor sit and label you know, 500,000 chest x-rays one at a time, they could just dump in a bunch of heuristics or noisy signals. Things like, if you see a big blob, it's probably bad. If the report from the nurse was really short, pardon me, probably not an emergency. Things like this. Even other classifiers or uh, you know, untrusted sets of labels, dump them all into Snorkel, writing them as these late, what we call labeling functions, just functions that label data, applying them over a lot of unlabeled data, and then Snorkel takes care of cleaning and integrating them into a final set of, of training labels. So to be clear, uh, when you say labeling functions, uh, you're talking about snippets of code. Yes, yeah. And the snippets of code could be wrappers around other things, though. You know, you could have a, a snippet of code to represent the labels from a crowd worker or from a radiologist. So like, you know, going back to this example, and this is based off of a current collaboration we have with some of the members of the Stanford Radiology and Neurology Departments, you know, you could have one labeling function for each doctor that's labeling data. This is like a crowdsourcing setting, and Snorkel will automatically learn which ones to trust more. For example, learning actually even to, you know, recover some proxy for seniority. But you can also, in addition to say, you know, human labelers, you can write heuristics. You can write little Python functions that, that label stuff uh, and dump those in as well. And if you have some you know, model that you found online, you can dump that in as well. And Snorkel, by looking at all the agreements and disagreements between these different labeling functions, will uh, recover and in a way that you know, under certain conditions is provably consistent, will figure out how accurate each of the sources is and how to reweight and combine them into a final set of training labels. In the early days of crowdsourcing, I think there were people who studied and wrote some theory around, okay, so when do we know when to trust which labeler? And so I guess what you guys have done is done this for machine labelers. Yes. Yeah. And, and we, you know, if you look at our papers we publish on this, you know, we build off of a lot of the great work and there, there's a ton of, you know, theoretical precedent in this area of combining noisy signals. Uh, there's some extra, you know, if you dive into the, you know, if you nerd out with us on some of the, you know, algorithmic and theoretical details, there's some fun new challenges in this setting you know, both in how you build the end-to-end -end system, which is what we tackled with building Snorkel and putting it out there and trying to apply it to things, as well as with the, the core algorithm. So to give a, one little glimpse of that, a big problem you run into with these things like labeling functions uh, that you don't really run into as much with crowd workers is that they're often correlated. So two crowd workers that are, you know, labeling data across the globe from each other are often, you know, giving, you know, making kind of independent or uncorrelated errors. But two pieces of code that, you know, what someone wrote might be really correlated in how they answer questions. 
And so you don't want to double count their votes. And you want to be able to pick up these correlations. So we, we've done a lot of work uh, starting in, in 2016 and actually most recently appearing uh, at ICML on how to pick up and handle these correlations between the, the labeling functions so that the user doesn't have to worry about it. Let's take a step back before we dive into some of this use cases uh, that you've encountered. At this point, how would you describe what are the key components of Snorkel? So in other words, at a high level, maybe walk us through kind of the architecture of uh, Snorkel. Yeah, yeah. So this is actually an exciting topic because right now uh, a bunch of us are working on a big new release and kind of redesign and refactor of the open source codes. This is version 0.9 that we're going to release in a couple of weeks. And one of the biggest things that's happening at a very high level is that we're adding new operators to let people build and manage their training sets in new ways. And these are kind of pulling in some other projects that we've had floating around uh, the Stanford side lab for uh, a while now. So the three of them, one is, is labeling data, but there are two more that we added in or that we're adding in in the new release. Uh, one is what we call transformation functions. And this is helps encapsulate a workflow where people often augment training data sets before they um, you know, train a model on them. So a canonical example would be, if you look at an image classification pipeline these days, you'll see that almost every single one will you know, randomly rotate or blur or shear the images before feeding it into the model that's learning to do something over them. And this is a way of teaching the models to be more robust, to be more invariant to certain, you know, certain operations like rotations. So um, the, the, the problem, though, is that you know, coming up with how to augment data, how to transform it appropriately, is kind of tricky to do for a new data set or a new problem. So uh, what Snorkel does, and this is uh, some of this work was published in NeurIPS in 2017, is uh, automatically figures out how to combine and tune these basic operations that a user puts in, like rotations or swapping out adjectives with synonyms. And then a third operation that we're, we're just working on now and is going to be in the new release is something we call uh, slicing functions. And this is the idea that um, there might be certain slices or partitions of your data that are you know, more difficult or more mission critical than others. So an example might be there's some subpopulation of, of patients that is very different from the other ones. And we want to let users be able to tell that to the model so the model can uh, you know, learn a, a different representation for that area. And so we have more details that are going to be posted soon on the, the theory and the, the algorithm development behind that, but it's going to be in the new release of Snorkel. So just to kind of sum up, there's you know, the start of the Snorkel pipeline is these set of three operators uh, that are all just little Python functions for labeling, transforming, and slicing or partitioning data. And then the middle part of Snorkel is an engine for tuning and reweighting and combining the output of those operators to form a, a clean, you know, production-ready training set. And then the final part of Snorkel is just, you know, plugging that training set into really any machine learning model or framework you want to use. PyTorch, TensorFlow, Keras. Um, we've been playing lately with Ludwig from Uber. So really the goal is that, you know, you can use Snorkel to build and manipulate and update and really manage your training data set and then just plug into whatever ML pipeline you're already using. So at a basic level for those Listeners who aren't familiar with the project, does one need a cluster, or can you use Snorkel in a laptop? Uh, it depends on the, um, you know, what you want to do in terms of dataset size. So, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the use cases. I mean, the answer is, is certainly both, uh, but you know, it depends on on your dataset size. So often, you know, one prototypical use case, uh, actually, uh, the radiology example I was using as an example of this, you might have a lot of unlabeled data. In this case, we had you know hundreds of thousands of unlabeled x-rays at the hospital. Um, and the, the expensive bit is labeling them. Uh, and so uh, in this case, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you use Snorkel to 
label it in a, a way that's much faster and cheaper than having, you know, human radiologists do it by hand. And you still need to execute though over this, you know, large data set. So that, you know, would be done more efficiently on a cluster. But by and large, um, snorkels pretty fast. It's usually training the model with the data that snorkel produces. That's the, the bottleneck. And, you know, that's, we leave that to others who are, you know, working quite capably on that problem. So the last time we talked, I think most of the use cases involved, at least on the on the type of data, involved text. But now, as I'm listening to you, uh, you keep bringing up images from uh, the medical realm. So uh, yeah. <laughs> at this point, then, would you say that uh, you're starting to get kind of a nice balance between these different data types? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, since one of the big areas that, you know, that myself, that, that I focused on and others in the lab worked on, um, and even other snorkel users was expanding the footprint of data types. So exactly like you said, we started off uh, really focused on this problem of um, not even just text, but even more narrow around information extraction. And, you know, this is, this is a problem that's very beloved by the ML community uh, for a variety of reasons, because it ties into lots of cool uh, applications, like pulling information out of the scientific literature or out of you know, the patent corpus or all these you know, cool things out of medical reports and making them usable. That's kind of what information extraction is about from one perspective. It's also a very challenging problem because it's often, you know, it involves kind of reading and understanding text um, and natural language, which is quite difficult. But, um, you know, so we started off kind of chewing on that problem. But then, you know, we gradually realized that actually anywhere you could write these, these operators, like the labeling functions or the transformation functions, Snorkel could be uh, very helpful with an ML pipeline. So we expanded to images. We're working on things like time series and video now. And also, you know, this is reflected in, in the new release we have coming out with the, uh, with the open source, which is, or I should say at the time of this recording, the, the new release that we have just released, uh, is that we're actually, you know, we, we've split up the repos so that there's a core snorkel repo that's a module. Uh, and then you can import it into some of the demos we have for text, image, and hopefully soon video and time series. So let me ask you this. So you just mentioned time series and video. So again, for people who aren't familiar with the project, what does it entail for Snorkel to get good at time series and video? Does it involve effort from the core contributors like yourself, or can some of it be driven from the bottom up by the community? Well, we hope, you know, we hope that, uh, let, let me start in reverse. First of all, we hope that there's lots of stuff that we can, you know, get from the community and the way that you get stuff from an open source community or one of the ways is that you give a lot back to it first and and so that's what we've been trying to do with cleaning up the code base i think that you know it's much more pleasant to contribute back to a code base that is actively maintained that is you know clean and uh, nicely uh, set up and so that's what we've been spending a lot of time working on uh, recently but in terms of technical ingredients i'd say for for snorkel to work you kind of need three ingredients first of all Snorkel is ultimately, you know, intended to build training sets for some model. So uh, you need to have a model that works on your data type. And thankfully, there's been a ton of progress uh, and, and open sourced progress on, you know, models for time series and video and, and the like. So, you know, that's something that we want to we want to leverage, right? Our, our goal with Snorkel is really to let people, you know, to kind of democratize access to these great models that are, you know, open sourced and, and super high performant, but are very data hungry and to make them accessible without having to pay, you know, millions of dollars for big label training, you know, hand labeled training sets. Alex, just to kind of clarify something, because uh, you're saying something interesting here. So not only just, is it true that uh, actually what you end up doing is not just basically uh, giving, giving me access to the model by uh, 
allowing me to expand my uh, training data, but also maybe kind of tuning the model to my own training data, right? Because basically, I may have very specific types of video or very specific types of time series. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a great point, which is that um, uh, I guess there's two two pieces of that that I think are particularly interesting that we've we've seen our work. The first is just that, yeah, being able to label and build and and modify training sets in a you know higher level way than than doing it by hand lets you you know spin up custom models much more easily. And there's been a lot of there's a lot of cool work that we view as orthogonal and you know traditional areas like transfer learning or anywhere where you're kind of reusing a representation across data sets, but often you still do need to label a bunch of labeled data for your particular setting. And Snorkel tries to make that that easier. The second aspect is that even within, you know, even within kind of Snorkel applications, you can automatically transfer between data sets. So if you write a set of labeling functions, for example, and you use it on one you know, say set of x-rays or set of spam emails, and then use it on another one, you can actually get two different models as a result, uh, or two different models of the operators. In other words, a snorkel can learn, you know, to trust certain labeling functions more on certain data sets than on others uh, automatically. So you can repurpose the stuff you've written on in new settings really easily. So uh, let's go through a couple of use cases that uh, you're comfortable talking about. Only talk about things that are public, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh yeah so maybe uh walk us through a couple of use cases that uh involve maybe different types of data or different types of problems yeah, yeah. so um you know I, I can briefly summarize the uh, uh the radiology one that i've been mentioning we we did um this is public it's you know posted and in, in, in submission we had four different problems chest x-rays knee x-rays, head CTs, and um, EEG monitoring, so a time series problem. So the people you were working with at Stanford already had a model and already had some labeled data? The interesting thing about this is that, first of all, they already had models for these because we, you know, we meaning you know us and, and, and our collaborators at, at um, you know, in the Stanford Radiology Department, basically just used standard models uh, from the open source. So it was pretty quick to get that part of the pipeline working. And that kind of exemplifies the point I was talking about at the beginning of, you know, access to ML, you know, state-of-the-art machine learning models never being uh, better. That part of the pipeline was pretty quick. You know, the reason why we kicked off this collaboration was because it turned out that the, you know, surprise, surprise, labeling the training data was actually the, the, the really painful bottleneck. And they, they spent, you know, person months, even person years for one or two of these applications, uh, just labeling, you know, data points to get peak performance. And that was actually a paper that appeared in, in radiology recently showing the effect of, of, doing all that labeling that it actually was was useful. So we stepped in and said, okay, if we just sat down instead of eight person months, say, we sat down for eight hours in aggregate with, you know, a radiology fellow and wrote a bunch of labeling functions in Snorkel, how, how good could we do? And it turns out actually that we can, you know, exceed the performance of person months of, uh, of hand labeling and get pretty close to within a point ROC AUC of, of um, you know, even years of hand labeling just with a couple hours of writing these labeling functions and then applying them over a lot of unlabeled data. Uh, so that was one cool project. And another project... There's a public project with Google, right? Yes, that's what I was going to get to next. So we recently uh, got to go to Amsterdam to present actually on, on a collaboration with Intel and, and then a collaboration with Google. Where we're two, two different uh, papers that have been posted online since. But I'll, I'll talk about the Google one because this was, this was a, a fun collaboration where the idea was that we worked on three different problems and I'll just you know say classification problems where um, we tried to see how many la- you know hand labels that were really you know time consuming and expensive to create 
uh, even for Google, we could replace with just a couple of these labeling functions. And in particular, one thing that we explored here that was kind of interesting was how can we use Snorkel? And, and the internal version in the paper was called Snorkel Drybill, you know, the internal yeah, version of the open source code that's hooked into Google's infrastructure. The question that we, we or one of the questions that we um, tackled was how can we use all of the what we call organizational knowledge that's already inside a, a place like Google and dump it in and use it to create training sets for some new model that meets some, say, you know, servability uh, parameters uh, that we want for the particular application. So in the case of Google, we took all this internal information, you know, internal models, you know, graph mining algorithms, legacy heuristics, and we expressed them all as labeling functions. And we use them, we dumped them in the circle, and we use that to train some model that, you know, met some service level agreement for being really, really quick on public data or something like that. And uh, the results were were pretty ex- exciting, and um, it was a, it was an awesome collaboration. Google is just great to work with, uh, you know, from the researcher perspective. What was the Intel use case? Intel was really cool. Intel was um, uh, a, a application. It was an interface layer built on top of Snorkel that they called Osprey. And the idea there was so on the Google side, it was all about how can we leverage existing kind of organizational knowledge and and, and express those as labeling functions, dump them in. In Intel, the question that that you know we tackled together was how can we make it really easy for subject matter experts in this case it was um, sales and marketing analysts to dump information into snorkel and and use it to train models without having to actually write code so osprey which is a, a layer on top of snorkel had this interface that was excel spreadsheet based where sales and marketing analysts could just dump in you know keywords and patterns and this would get compiled down to labeling functions uh, that were then used in snorkel to train some final model that monitored news feeds and twitter and the like for uh, relevant information. So you, uh, the way you described actually uh, Snorkel in general and in the Google use case in particular, you used the following phrase. You said uh, we use Snorkel to train a model. But as you mentioned earlier, actually Snorkel is about creating and managing. Yeah, I was concatenating uh, stuff. I guess it's you know uh, use use the training set from Snorkel to, to, to train a model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I think to my point is that actually because uh, your vision is to actually help a data scientist who is doing something end-to-end and training data being one of the early stages of the pipeline, there are some other benefits to actually using a tool like Snorkel, right? So I think, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. for example, uh, when you start talking about automation, well, now you can automate relabeling or the fixing of your training data. When you talk about, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. When you talk about data lineage in a machine learning project, well, now you can go all the way back to how the data was programmatically created, right? Oh, yeah. No, these are, uh, it's, it's a great point. And I think that, um, you know, one thing to emphasize here is that nothing about the Snorkel project was intending or is intending to make this push button. It's, it's just meant to take a, a human-driven process that's really slow and involves labeling individual data points and turn it into something that looks more like, you know, developing code, right? Developing code still takes time. But there's all these advantages. You can go back and you can modify code really easily. You can repurpose it. You can, you know, go back and inspect it or debug it, right? Um, you can write scripts to automate. Exactly. You can write higher level interfaces or abstraction layers, um, like the actually like the Intel project I just mentioned. Or there was another one that I mentioned kind of in passing uh, that my lab mate presented at ACL called Battle Label, which was a system that took natural language explanations, kind of explaining why uh, a certain data point was labeled in a certain way and compiled it down to labeling functions to dump into Snorkel. So the idea is that, you know, we wanted to go from, you know, individual data labels, kind of almost like the, you know, machine code of, of machine learning, and just go up one layer to 
you know, supervision as code instead of labels. And then once you're in this realm of supervision as code, again, you can do all this stuff of building layers on top of it, going back and debugging it. But to be more concrete, you know, an example, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm beating the radiology example to death because uh, I'm, I'm a little, you know, too excited about it recently. But, you know, one example that happened there, and I, I wish I had recorded this because it would have been a great infomercial, could have thrown in a tote bag. Um, but, you know, one of our collaborators said, you know, told us a story about how he had mislabeled, I think it was pneumothorax. And he, you know, recalled a previous ML collaboration at Stanford where he would have had to spend, you know, weeks just relabeling the entire training set. But with Snorkel, instead, he went back and just tweaked a couple labeling functions, took him about half an hour, and he had corrected the mistake. So I think the, the, the advantage, which is a real kind of step change we've seen with a, an approach like Snorkel, is that, you know, you still have to find the errors yourself. And that's a, that's a, that question of, you know, interpretability of debugging machine learning is, is a much broader one that, you know, we don't solve with Snorkel. But if you find an issue, you know, with an approach like Snorkel, you can go back and you can quickly change the entire training set just by tweaking some code. Whereas if you find an error in a model that was trained on like, you know, 10 million hand-labeled examples, you have no recourse other than to throw it out and uh, and start over again. And that's actually why the collaboration with Google started, because even for Google, it was too painful to have to, you know, throw out and relabel a training set every time something changed. Yeah, it also expands what's automatable, right? Because I think one of my uh, pet peeves is when people talk about auto ML, they only talk about the model fitting part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, which is only the, 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 the end of the pipeline, only, right? Yeah. yeah, it's only part of the pipeline, yeah. Well, pe- people don't like, I mean, it, and this is something I say to also, like, especially, the, you know, younger grad students who haven't picked their project yet, that, you know, it's a good heuristic to, you know, go for a messy problem um, because yes. yeah, yeah. people shy away from messy problems. And there's nothing messier than the data. So I feel like a lot of the attitude in machine learning, and this is kind of what we actually got excited about at the beginning of the project because we saw opportunity for, for doing some new stuff. You know, people don't think about the training data set. The training data set, especially in academic ML, is often something it's, that you just download from the internet and then you ignore. Maybe you dig in a little bit to get a sense of what the data looks like, but you don't otherwise touch it. So, you know, but it's actually, it's a, it's a huge source of, of variance and, and leverage in the model quality. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, not just Snorkel, but any, there are many projects now, I think, that are thinking more seriously about data quality, data sources, training data quality. Um, and I think this is the right place to look because this is, you know, people have known for a while that, you know, the quality and volume of your training data has a huge effect on the model performance. But I think people are now getting serious about, you know, actually focusing on on researching and building around that area or that part of the pipeline. By the way, the other thing that I still like and I think is somewhat underappreciated is the difference between raw data and post-processed data or derived data. I mean, in some ways, kind of, yeah. it's, this fits into kind of like that information extraction thing, right? So for example, we're talking today and either tomorrow or the next day, uh, the startup Nexar, which has a lot of data because they have this uh, camera that people put on their cars and they drive around, right? So yeah. sure, you can use the Nexar data raw, but all it's going to show you is people driving around but now they're going to expose that data, the derived data, which will they will highlight, okay, so where are the construction zones that you should be avoiding? Which traffic lights are uh, broken? So I think tools like Snorkel will allow you to actually uh, get to this kind of derived or cooked data or what, I don't know what the right term is, you know? Uh, no, I think, I think that's a, a great way of, of thinking about it. And I think that it exposes one of the things that, it's kind of like, you know, the way that you cook the data I like your terminology. 
um, often changes from setting to setting. And right, right. depending you know, on your people needs, are used right? to, depending on your exactly, needs, exactly. Or the question you want to ask, right? Exactly. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go back to the radiology example and you would, you, you'd have permission to shoot me for using it too much if you were in the same room as me, but I'm very far away, I think. So, um, you know, in the radiology example, we originally were just doing, you know, uh, yes, no classification. Like, you know, is, is it, we, and we were doing it for triaging, I should mention. So we're not uh, trying to replace the human doctor in the pipeline. We're trying to prioritize which image gets seen by the human doctor first. So first we were just doing yes, no. And then when we actually wanted to go and get closer to deployment settings, uh, it turns out that, you know, each hospital system might have its own schema. You know, some might have five label, labels of severity. Some might have seven. And so the way you cook the data from setting to setting often changes all the time, especially when your machine learning pipeline uh, model is just part of some broader process. The inputs change, the outputs change, anything there, you know, then suddenly you have to recook the data, you know, whether it's labeling it or pre-processing it or whatnot. And so, you know, tools like Snorkel that let you do that more dynamically become a real asset in real world settings. And I think that, uh, that often gets lost in some of the sort of, you know, pre-cooked data sets that people compete around in ML benchmarks. Actually, here's another way to think about it, right? So we as a community are very excited about all these specialized hardware for machine learning and deep learning training that are about to come out later this year. And uh, the reason is, of course, uh, they promise to lower training time and lower the cost of training, which means data scientists or machine learning engineer can ask more questions and run more experiments. But then you can say the same thing about Snorkel in some ways, as you pointed out, right? Which is basically... If my labeled data set was painful to create, then I can only ask questions based on those labels or run experiments based on those labels, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly it. And again, I think, you know, at a very high level, it's all about, you know, you look at a pipeline that has all these complex pieces, like a, you know, a data science or a machine learning pipeline. And in some sense, you're, you should always just be looking for the rate limiting step. And, you know, five, 10 years ago, the rate limiting step was, you know, building the model selecting the features for the model, or maybe it was, you know, building the algorithm or even building the hardware, you know, you could label a training set in a month, but you'd be spending years building the model. But you know, now I guess part of our whole premise is that it's changed, right? Because of all the great progress in hardware for ML and auto ML and just all the great open source frameworks, you know, it might take you like it took our radiologist friends a couple of days to set up the model. Uh, so now the rate limiter has shifted to the data side, and we're trying to make it faster. All right. So we're recording this in the middle of July, and as you mentioned earlier, you have a new release sometime in August, version 0 0.9, which I should probably tease you. Why not go for version 1? I had the same <laughs> argument with my, uh, with my, <laughs> so, so with my high, colleagues. At a I high lost. level. At a high level. So what are some of the things that people should look forward to in this new release? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know... The, I mentioned uh, two of them already. One is the fact that we're expand, you know, we're bringing more operators for building and managing training sets under the under the you know the same hood. So not just labeling data, which is you know often getting labels for your training set is one of the biggest bottlenecks, but also transforming or augmenting your data, and also you know slicing or partitioning it up into certain areas that are especially important to you. Uh, these are new operations that are supported as you know uh, first class citizens in Snorkel. Another thing is making it more modular and separating the pieces that are specific to, say, text or image or uh, different application use cases from the core functionalities of Snorkel. Uh, third thing is we've integrated a lot of um, new algorithms uh, and um, that are also you know, connected to some, some cool theory. So we have a new um, matrix completion style approach that's 
you know, like 100x as fast as the uh, old model we had for figuring out the accuracies of the labeling functions and a new structure learning approach for learning uh, the correlations between the labeling functions or other operators. Finally, we've just, you know, kind of cleaned up the whole, uh, you know, redesigned and refactored and cleaned up the whole code base, you know, unit tests, typing, doc strings, uh, you know, tutorials, all of that, just to try to make it easier to use and also to contribute back to. A lot of people have been, you know, you know, so generous with their time to submit issues and to, you know, contribute back PRs. And it's been difficult because it was research code and it was, you know, uh, it was research code. I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Now we've spent a bunch of time cleaning it up. How would you describe, let's say, I listen to this episode, I get interested in snorkel, I decide I want to try it. So how would you describe its ease of install and ease of use? So ease of use would probably mean just are there enough examples for me to, to figure out how to get started? Well, we hope so. But this is where we would, you know, this is one of the you know places that we most love feedback. You know, install should be super easy, you know, pip, conda, whatever you want to use. And, you know, we'll be continuing to support, you know, whatever makes it easier to kind of get Snorkel set up and going. And then in terms of use cases, we have the basic tutorial that's we're working on right now, but as of this conversation being posted, is going to be around spam classification. So canonical machine learning example, um, you know, text classification, really simple, just to go through the mechanics of Snorkel. And then we have other tutorials for data types. You know, we have a tutorial for images, for information extraction for uh, managing crowdsourced workers and modeling their quality, which you can do with Snorkel. For richly formatted data, we, uh, we actually have a, a repo where we include the code that we use to, uh, at least at the time of this, this uh, recording, get state-of-the-art on a, a natural language understanding multitask learning benchmark called, called Superglue. So we have a whole bunch of examples. And one of the best forms of feedback for us is if people tell us uh, other use cases they'd like to see covered or even contribute them, and and also I should mention, you know, as researchers, we love also when people mention places where snorkel doesn't work because often there's a new um, extension or research problem lurking there. All right, so uh, you're part of Chris Ray's Hazy Research Group, which uh, now plugs into uh, snorkel now plugs into the ecosystem in that group and beyond. So uh, one of my good friends, Ehab Ilyas, has a related project called Holoclean. So Maybe you can just rattle off all the key pieces here. You know, uh, I, I went through your site. There's Panda, there's Metal, and of course, Matei Saharia's ML Flow. So how does Snorkel relate or not relate to these other projects? Also, a great question. So, it, and, and it's always fun to trace all the, the funny names that come out of academia. <laughs> um, yeah, we had it like we had a, my favorite, of course, we had a, a C theme going on because there was Deep Dive was a project in the lab. And then uh, Snorkel was supposed to be the, you know, lighter weight, easier to use version. And uh, then, then uh, one of my lab mates uh, named his project uh, Fondure, uh, which <laughs> no more C theme, I guess. Uh, but you know, it's at least a yummier title. So first of all, you know, starting with Holoclean, uh, there's actually a, a really cool and deep theoretical connection between you know how Holoclean works and how Snorkel works, and, and a number of other projects. We've actually been running a workshop uh, that we started at um, uh, last year's at iClear uh, about um, what we call weak supervision. So this is kind of an umbrella topic for you know, uh, rather than hand labeling data that you assume is perfect, how do you deal, deal with noisier or, you know, non-traditional or what we people often call weaker supervision? And so Snorkel uses weak supervision for training, say, classifiers for a range of tasks or for basically cleaning up that supervision. Um, Holoclean uses weak supervision for the cleaning up structured data sets and a range of other problems. And, you know, they're working on a lot of cool stuff there. 
to go on to um, some of the other projects you mentioned, actually, a lot of those are getting merged into the new VO.9 release. Okay. So, so Tanda, which was a, a, a another podcast, I'll give you a, a great logo idea we had about uh, fake news, because this is a data augmentation project. And this was the stuff around uh, data augmentation and writing transformation functions that was published, uh, a paper about it was it was published in NeurIPS 2017. And then actually Google's done some follow-up work with a you know similar idea uh, that they called auto-augment and uh, actually got some very cool state-of-the-arts with recently. Um, but now that's actually getting integrated into uh, into Snorkel, into the new version. So uh, Ditto with Metal, Metal was a, a new version of Snorkel that focused on multitask learning. Actually, it's something I forgot to mention about VO.9. So we're actually um, uh, multitask learning in a nutshell. It's, it's an, an old idea. You know, Rich Caruana coined the term in the, in the 90s. And the basic idea is to see if you can take one model and have it learn to do multiple things and share one representation between those multiple tasks and therefore be more data efficient. And there's a lot of really cool progress recently on this. And Metal was a project we published about it in AAAI 2019 to see, okay, how do we apply snorkel techniques of cobbling together training sets in the multitask setting? And that also is now getting all merged into the new repo. So the new the new VO.9 will have full multitask uh, learning support. So yeah, so we're basically hoovering up a lot of things that were like separate little projects with funny names and trying to put them all in one framework. And then, as you said, you're trying to plug into the broader ecosystem. So on the ML side, you have yes. integrations. Yes, so like MLflow or, you know, yeah, we want to have integrations with PyTorch and MLflow, TensorFlow. PyTorch, TensorFlow, um, you know, Ludwig is a cool project out of Uber recently, um, you know, Keras. We want to have plugins uh, to all of them. That's actually somewhere where, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get some help from the community, but we'll, you know, be trying to build as many plugins as we can because, you know, really, again, the whole premise of Snorkel is that we want to let people take advantage of all the great progress in the ML ecosystem today. Like, it's, it's really astounding how much, you know, state-of-the-art stuff gets translated into the open source almost instantaneously. You know, it's it's really astounding. And so we, we want Snorkel to plug into all that to help, you know, make it more accessible to people who don't have huge, you know, annotation budgets, or even to people who do. Like, I, I a project with Google was funny because I, I used to have a line in my academic talk saying, Snorkel was meant for, you know, helping people who didn't have Google style annotation budgets. And then <laughs> turns out actually we're doing a lot of work with Google because uh, when the data changes rapidly, then even Google doesn't want to spend that much money on the, you know, the data labeling or, or wants to, you know, keep looking for innovative new, new ways of, of being more, more adaptive. And that's what we worked on with them. Yeah. And like you said, I think that there was a lot of focus on models and tools pertaining to models. But now as people get more serious about machine learning, they're realizing there's a lot of other things that need to be built. And so obviously everything begins with data. So it's great to see a lot of these tools that focus on data getting built. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I um, you know, got to help participate in organizing this conference called SysML. Uh, actually, you know, we were writing a wrote a, a white paper on it for this this last year we uh, that was held out of Stanford. It's a and the kind of idea behind this this conference is that it's a great time to be thinking about working on systems for machine learning. In other words, you know, core work on machine learning is nowhere near done, but there are enough mature tools out there or models and you know enough real world impact that it kind of seems like a great time to start thinking about what are the broader systems that uh, support this, both you know lower level systems that you know you run the models on things like you know, hardware and, and compilers and the like, and also higher level systems like Snorkel and, you know, MLflow and others that, you know, manage the end to end workflows. And so, you know, I'm very biased, but I think that's, you know, 
I think it's a great time to be working on, on those kinds of bigger picture elements of the ML picture. Alex, this has been great. I will link to the previous conversation we had. And also, just for our listeners out there, Alex Ratner will be giving a talk at the upcoming Artificial Intelligence Conference in San Jose. And I'm going to try to figure out if we can get more snorkel-related stuff in future conferences. Awesome, Ben. Well, thanks again for the time. It's always a pleasure. As a reminder, Alex Ratner will be giving a talk at the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference in San Jose this September. So if you want to follow Alex, you can do so on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at AJ Ratner. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.